You filled your belly. I couldn't eat another thing. I'm absolutely stuffed. Now fill your brain with lightning knowledge. What can I do to speed the whole thing up, doctor? This is Lightning Lunch, a full hour of lightning talk with lightninginsider.com's Eric Erlinson. Did you see the memo about this? On Lightning Power Play. Good afternoon. Welcome to another edition of Lightning Lunch here on Lightning Power Play, a game day edition. This Tuesday, February the 4th. I am Eric Erlinson, your host from lightninginsider.com. And yes, I do still host an opening face-off show that does return today. You can hear that at 4.30 uh, right here on Lightning Power Play. And again, if you're just tuning into this show for the first time and you're not familiar with that format... Oh, we've... That format is a little bit different from this one. Sorry about that little technical glitch. Um, where we talked to Bobby the Chief Taylor for eh, roughly 30 minutes or so. And I always tell you, you never know where the conversation's going to go with Chief. And, you know, we pulled some stories out of him lately, some funny ones through the years. And um, I'm not sure if there's a Vegas story or not. Have to find out. But we do talk to Bobby the Chief Taylor for roughly 30 minutes. Uh, we also talked to a select Lightning player, and today we did sit down with Alex Kalorn. So uh, check out that interview with uh, Alex uh, heading into tonight's game against the Vegas Golden Knights. But this is Lightning Lunch, and we have mm, different things to discuss. If you have questions, as always, find me on Twitter. Use the hashtag AskEE. Stephanie has... Her question in, and Bob has his follow-up. I have another question, too, and this is an interesting one. I don't think this is necessarily meant to be for the show, but I will answer it uh, on here regarding a potential defenseman that might be available for Tampa Bay. Uh, well, so we'll discuss that a little bit as well. Special treat for you today. I told you yesterday that uh, Mike McKenna, former NHL goaltender, former Lightning goaltender, who recently retired and is now a studio television analyst for the Vegas Golden Knights. Mike McKenna is going to stop by, and we're going to talk a little bit about this Vegas team, the change that was made, the surprising change from Peter DeBoer taking over for Gerard Gallant. Uh, so we'll get Mike's take on that. I also want to ask Mike about goalie fights and why we like goalie fights. Uh, being a former goaltender himself, of course, topical because of what happened on Saturday in Calgary. We had mentioned more than a couple of times last week about the Battle of Alberta, the situation between Zach Cassian and Matthew Kachuk, and how that had the potential to boil over. It didn't happen in the first meeting between those two teams, which took place Wednesday of last week. Now, Cassian and Kachuk did drop the gloves, and, you know, the code says that it's over, but you knew it wasn't over. That boiled over to Saturday's meeting when the teams met again. Now, Edmonton did play the previous night, or Calgary did. I think Calgary played the previous night against St. Louis. Um, but it did boil over, and we had ourselves a little Donnybrook, as they like to say with uh, Mike Smith and Cam Talbot 
ending up dropping the gloves in that game at Santa Rice. And um, I think it's the first goalie fight, registered goalie fight since 2013. So they don't happen very often. Uh, but we did see one and, and that brewed over, uh, spilled over in the Battle of Alberta on Saturday night. We didn't talk about that yesterday because it kind of escaped my mind. But now that we're coming up with uh, Mike McKenna, former goalie, it kind of popped into my head. So um, we'll talk to Mike McKenna. He, when he was here, and he wasn't here very long, but he, when he was here, fantastic personality. I don't think it strikes anybody as odd that he ends up being an analyst in front of a camera or behind a microphone. You know, he, he just has that outgoing personality, and uh, I think it comes across very well. I've caught a few of the Vegas uh, telecasts through the NHL.TV app that I have on my Xbox that I tend to watch games on from time to time, and he's really fit in uh, rather well pretty quickly. also did color for the AHL All-Star game, which took place a week ago in California, so he was the color analyst for that as well. So stick around for that interview. He's uh, Mike is really, really good, uh, and I hope you'll get uh, some knowledge and some insight from Mike when we get him on the phone here, probably in our second segment, uh, somewhere around 1220 or 1225, in that range if uh, we can make that work. Well, we will, we will make that work. That's what we do. Uh, another topic that I meant to get to last week before we get too much into tonight's game, I had brought this up and didn't follow up on it because that was the day we had Ken Campbell on on Friday, and it was such a good conversation with Ken Campbell. I wasn't able to get to it, so I want to address it now. That I've seen, especially on some of the Facebook groups that I follow. Yes, I do follow the Facebook groups. So if you're in those, I'm looking, I'm watching, I want to see the temperature of what you guys think, and I do tend to chime in from time to time. But it was the topic of the Lightning having more wins than the Boston Bruins, and yet they're in second place. How can that happen? All that stuff. I think one thing, and we've had this conversation before about the loser point, so quote-unquote loser point, and how it factors into the standings, what you have to sort of program your mind to remember the standings are not based on wins. This is not Major League Baseball. This is not the National Football League. This is not the National Basketball League. You have to think more in terms of how soccer is constructed. And soccer is not based on wins. It's based on points accumulated. Right? It's points Accumulated. Now the system's different in soccer. You get three for a win and one for a tie. That's a different kind of debate. Something I think that the NHL should go to. I've said it for a long time. Or just go back to ties. I never had a problem with ties. We tend we tend to for some reason in the sports psychology of this country seem to have a problem with ties, but I never had an issue with the tie, but they have done away with it. So as you look at the standings, yeah, the Lightning might have more wins than the Boston Bruins, but it doesn't matter because the standings are based on points. How many points did you accumulate? 
How many points do you accumulate? That is what the standings are all based on. You qualify for the playoffs not based on wins. It's on points. So, you know, complain, point out, all go up and down that spectrum of how can a team with more wins actually be behind a team that with the fewer number of wins. Well, that's not how it works, right? It's all based on points accumulated, and that includes even losing games in overtime, and the Bruins have 12 losses in overtime. Look, if they'd have won half those games that they lost in overtime slash shootout, well, they'd be five wins ahead of the Lightning. Right? So, again, it's not based on wins and victories. It's all based on how many points you gain in the standing. That's why, you know, I, I, you, you know people talk about this, this loser point. I don't have a problem with it. I don't. I never have. I know a lot of people do. I, I guess the part that I I don't like about it is that when you have the um, the point for losing in overtime, all of a sudden now that become any any game now that gets to overtime automatically becomes a three point game. Somebody's getting two and somebody's getting one. And yet, if you win the game in regulation, it's only a two-point game. So the values of the game are not the same. That's why you'll see sometimes, especially in the second half of the year, I, I don't know the numbers on this, but I wouldn't be surprised if the number of overtime games increases as the season goes on because teams want to make sure they protect the point they have and then go out and get second point. Look, this is part of the reason behind why the league went to both teams getting to overtime earn a point. Because under the old format, when ties existed, when you either won the game, lost the game, or tied the game, what you were seeing happen was games that got to overtime, teams went ultra-conservative in the extra session because they wanted to protect the point that they had earned. They didn't want to lose a point. So it turned overtime into basically just ping pong. Back and forth. Look, it was five on five then. There was no four on four. There was no three on three. It was a five on five, five minute overtime session. And it turned into boring, boring hockey because neither team wanted to sacrifice the point that they had earned. So they did not want to put themselves into a position. Players did not want to put themselves into position for being responsible for having lost a point. Because even then, what were the standings based on? Points, not wins. So, that's why I'm an advocate for the three points for a regulation win, and then overtime games are still worth three points. And this debate comes up. Uh, I can tell you, though, I know in some of the meetings I have been with or been privy to or been involved in when I was a member of the PHWA, the Pro Hockey Writers Association, there's no appetite on the league's part, whether it's the general managers, whether it's the owners, competition committee, all of them. There is absolutely no appetite to change the system. So this is what we have to deal with. So again, 
you can look at the Atlantic Division standings. You can say that uh, how can a Lightning have more wins in Boston to be in second place because the standings are not based on wins. They are based solely on points. Now, they're, they've done some things to try and lessen the impact that shootouts have in the game. Right, so the tiebreaker now, it used to be just wins was the tiebreaker. Now it's regulation overtime wins is the first tiebreaker. Whoever has more of those. So it, again, you're trying to incentivize teams to quote-unquote go for it a little bit more in overtime. This is why they went from four-on-four to three-on-three. They wanted to try and make the games in overtime a little bit more exciting, give teams a little bit more reason to push it a little bit, to push the pace a little bit. Because the games had gotten boring when it got to the OT. Nobody would take a risk. It turned, like I said, ping pong. It turned into dump and change for both teams. Maybe a seam would open up. Maybe you would have just a, a quick chance and a team might go and take, try and take advantage of it, but they weren't going to make risky plays. Whereas, you know, the four-on-four four opened up a little bit more ice. And certainly now the three-on-three three has opened up plenty of ice. The problem is now, in my mind anyway, with three-on-three three overtime, now that's turned into kind of eh. There are some games that it'll go off the charts. There's... Sometimes that happens organically. But if you watch any team in the league now with their approach to overtime, maybe with the exception of Edmonton, their approach to overtime is be slow, be methodical, possess the puck. Don't give up puck possession. You don't see too many teams try and send shots on goal from the outside. Right? Nobody's, not many teams are taking slap shots. And they're certainly not going to take them from above the circles. Because if you miss, there's a good chance that the puck is going to rim around the boards. And in all likelihood, you've got two guys probably below the hash marks. And it's going to result in an odd man rush the other way. And that's what teams want to avoid. So they don't want to give up puck possession. So even now, the three-on-three, three, which occasionally you get not necessarily helter-skelter hockey, but you do get where the ice opens up. And you know once one odd-man opportunity happens and they don't convert, usually it lends to an odd-man opportunity the other way. You know, go back to the game against Dallas last Monday. Right? As I mentioned when... A lot of people were sort of uh, criticizing Braden Point for his play in overtime. Well, what happens if Braden Point makes that play? I, I wouldn't call that a high-risk play at all. In fact, I would venture to say that the odds were heavily in his favor to make that play if we're going to break it down. Because if he gets that puck up the ice, guess what? The Lightning have an odd man rush. Jamie Benn made a hell of a play to knock the puck out of the air, 
and win the game for Dallas. But for the most part, I mean, was there a lot of end-to-end -end rush in that game? I mean, the Lightning to become as guilty as anybody when it comes to their approach to overtime. They want to hold the puck. That opening face-off to overtime is so key for many teams now because they want possession right away. And this is kind of a long, roundabout way that we're talking about the wins column. But that's, that's what it is. So don't, don't get too preoccupied and mention and talk about, well, how, how can the Lightning be in second place when they have more wins in the team in front of them? Because you have to remember the standings are not based on wins. They are based solely on points. So that's why, and, and I apologize, I meant to get to that on Friday. I forgot as we had a really good conversation with Ken Campbell in that situation. Didn't bring it up yesterday because we had a lot to get to yesterday. There was a lot to digest over the weekend. So that's why I wanted to bring it up today with you and kind of just put that out there. I know I'm sure there's plenty of people who disagree with me, and that's fine. We can have disagreements. Believe me, I have plenty of disagreements. I tend to do a much better job of ignoring those uh, on Twitter in particular. But there are plenty of people who disagree with what I have to say, and that's perfectly fine. I have no problem. So if you have a comment on that, if you have a further question, maybe something I didn't touch on that you know maybe you thought of, you can always find me on Twitter. My handle is at Eric underscore Erlinson. It's E-R-I-K underscore E-R-L-E-N-D-S-S-O-N. Use the hashtag AskEE. You can find me that way as well. You can also email me. That's eric at lightninginsider.com, E-R-I-K at lightninginsider.com if you want to reach out in that capacity. I know Rich does that quite a bit. I know Chris does that from time to time. So you can always find me that way as well. Uh, again, the Lightning are back in action. It's been it's hard to believe. It's been three weeks since this team has played a home game. January 14th was the last time this team was at home. That was a game against the LA Kings. 4-3 shootout win. Steven Stamkos with the winner. Nikita Kucherov had the late tying goal to force the overtime. So that was another one. That was an overtime. That wasn't very exciting overtime at all. But it has been three weeks we have the two games before the break. Lost in Minnesota, won in Winnipeg. Had the nine days off for their bye week and the all-star break. Four games on the road. Weird schedule. Like I said, the team stayed actually in San Jose after Saturday's game. Flew home on Sunday, 
took the day off yesterday, returned to the ice this morning for their morning skate. It was a full morning skate. Uh, no changes to the lineup anticipated tonight based on what we saw this morning. Line combinations look the same. Defensive combinations look the same. So that means, once again, Luke Shannon, Braden Coburn are scheduled to be your healthy scratches for tonight. Andre Vasilevsky, who took Saturday game, Saturday's game off as Curtis McElhaney pitched the shutout against the Sharks. Vasilevsky will be back in net as the Lightning are back in action against the Vegas Golden Knights tonight, 7 p.m. Right here on Lightning Power Play, Dave Mishkin. Kelly Chelly, uh, so many road games, it's just become automatic to say Kelly. No, no, no. Phil Esposito, of course, is the uh, color with Dave for home games. So uh, Phil Esposito will be back in the booth tonight with Dave. Uh, interesting with Vegas in town. Again, you only see them two times a season. Not seeing them until late. They're, look, they're done with the Kings already. They're done with the Sharks already. They've already faced Vancouver once. These Pacific Division teams already faced the Coyotes once. Colorado's been here as well. So this is the last team in the Pacific Division the Lightning have yet to play. Of course, they're carrying a 10-game winning streak against Pacific Division teams into tonight's game, so that's on the line. Sorry, they haven't faced Edmonton either. Edmonton will be here next Thursday. So those are the Pacific Division teams they haven't faced yet, but uh, they're, they're done with the Ducks. Already faced the Ducks twice, already faced the Sharks twice. So first look at Vegas. It's interesting how they make a coaching change from Gerard Gallant to Pete DeBoer. When just a few weeks prior, they were talking contract extension with Gallant. Gallant, of course, led them as an expansion team to the Stanley Cup final in 2018. They lost to the Washington Capitals. Last year, they were primed to put together another type of run, and they ran into that controversial five-minute major towards the end of the game. San Jose scored four times to erase a 3 nothing nothing deficit. And Vegas would come back and tie the game, but the Sharks did win it in overtime in game seven. And then kind of just middling along this year in a very wide-open Pacific division. You've got five teams, basically, all within... Well, at one point, they were all within one point of each other. Now... A little bit of gap has been created by Vancouver. But the Golden Knights were sort of just in the middle of that pack. When the change was made, I believe it was January 15th. I think that's when the change was made. January 15th is when Gallant was let go, and Pete DeBoer, who started the year in San Jose, was hired. Uh, because they were, it's funny how things change. A year ago, two years ago, most expansion teams are exactly that, expansion teams who struggle. 
But Vegas has set a different model. They've certainly set the bar pretty high for Seattle when they come into the league in two years. But so you're a middle-of-the-pack team in the middle of your third year, and that's not enough. You end up making a coaching change. So interesting that uh, Vegas will be in tonight. We'll see what they look like. They were a fast, relentless team under Gerard Gallant. Uh, we'll ask Mike McKenna how different they look with DeBoer in charge now. He hasn't had a whole lot of time to sort of put a stamp on the team because the Golden Knights, like the Lightning, sort of went into their bye. You know, the change was made on the 15th. They played three games at Ottawa, at Montreal, at Boston. Went 1-1-1. One, one, and, one. and then they had 10 days off before they were at Carolina on the 31st. And then at Nashville on the 1st, they won both of those games before they head into here. They actually, their first home game with Pete DeBoer behind the bench won't happen until February 8th, so that's this weekend. Saturday. So, all right, let's go ahead and take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to get Mike McKenna, former Lightning goaltender, NHL goaltender, uh, who retired after last season. Had a crazy year last year. Uh, so we'll ask him a little bit about that. Uh, but he's now a TV studio analyst for the Vegas Golden Knights uh, television broadcast. So he's going to be kind enough to join us to give us some insights. And we're going to ask him about goalie fights. So uh, stick around for that. We'll talk to Mike McKenna when we come back right after this. Can't get enough lightning talk? Log on to lightninginsider.com for more puck pontification. Oh, if, 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 uh, if, if, uh, if, yeah, if we, if, oh, if, oh, look, it's quite simple. More lightning lunch with Eric Erlinson on lightning power play. Welcome back to lightning lunch here on lightning power play. Eric Erlinson from lightning insider. .com, your host, getting you set for tonight's game against the Vegas Golden Knights. It's a 7 p.m. puck drop, and to help us talk about the Golden Knights and maybe a few other things, former NHL goaltender, former Lightning goaltender, now studio analyst for the Vegas Golden Knights, Mike McKenna. Mike, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us. How are things, man? It's my pleasure. Um, always flattered to go back on. Things are good. Uh, Transition to not to... Uh, from uh, no desire to hop back in the cage at all, completely content <laughs> with that aspect of what my life was. Uh, so, so it's been good. It's, it's exactly what I was hoping for in terms of my, you know, my mental state and everything going into this. Well, I would have to imagine after how last year went for you, <laughs> jumping around from organization to organization in such a small, small period of time. I was following that whole adventure on Twitter, as I'm sure a lot of other people were, and that was uh, that was crazy. Did, did that kind of push you towards this or, or maybe make it a little bit sooner, or did you think it was about that time anyway? Well, you know what's funny is last season I went into it thinking it was going to be my last year. I mean, I had, not this summer, but the previous summer, I had a couple of auditions within media um, that I, I think if I would have pursued those harder, uh, I, it could have happened, but it, the timing didn't feel right. I wanted to play one more season. I wanted my youngest daughter, who's three, almost four. I wanted her to remember me as a hockey player. And, uh, okay. uh, I, I like this setup. Uh, Ottawa's, everything you're telling me is that I'll be in Belleville all year unless there's a call-up or two, and then in that case, I'll call up, and that's fine, and 
Uh, I thought, okay, I'm comfortable with this. We're going to move the family to Canada um, and we'll roll. And I left home uh, on a road trip right before Halloween and never came home. So uh, it was an, it was an insane season in terms of, well, just everything. I mean, someday I'll sit down with my wife and we'll do a podcast on it and maybe a 10 parter, but uh, uh, it did very much validate my decision that it was the right time to leave the game. Uh, I've just, I just had enough of moving around yeah. Frank and it felt like felt like that the timing was right. If I wanted to try to do broadcasting to strike the iron while it's hot, I guess. Well, and I can speak for a lot of people who have interviewed you during your playing days. This is no surprise that you've jumped right into this sort of role. Um, pretty seamless for you. You feel pretty comfortable jumping behind the camera and, and a microphone pretty quickly. Yeah. And, and I, I was never afraid of it. Um, I, I when I, I mean, when I was a kid in elementary school, I'd be the lead in the play. You know, like, yeah. I, I don't know. I, for some reason, I, I like to be, and it's funny because I'm actually a very uh, kind of introspective person. I'm an only child. I'm very independent. I like my personal space and my me time. But the flip side of that is I can be really extroverted at times too when it comes to that. So I never minded the attention of it. Um, playing along with the media at times, I thought it was fun. I, I thought it was a way to show off our personality. Um, and yeah, it, the camera doesn't phase me one bit. Uh, I'm more concerned with how I look on camera, not in terms of my physical appearance, which is bad enough as is, but in terms of, you know, camera looks and things like that. You know, that's what worried me more than actually being in front of people. So, um, yeah, it, it wasn't, uh, it hasn't been a surprise that that's where I headed at all. It's really been pretty seamless. All right, again, we're joined here by Mike McKenna on Lightning Lunge. And for our listeners who aren't aware, yes, Mike spent some time here with the Lightning organization, a couple of different stints, actually. But uh, your first career NHL start, not your first appearance, but your first start was here at Amelie Arena uh, against the New York Islanders, and you ended up pitching a shutout. How much do you remember of that game and, and think back to that game? And I have to think you have a puck from that <laughs> game. I mean, w where does that kind of fit in with your career, that first career start here? Well, it's still the, you know, that's the highlight of, especially my NHL career, really my career in general was making the NHL first off, which happened um, 11 years ago. Uh, I think to this day, it was in Long Island with the team. Uh, and then the next night was against Pittsburgh was my first start, but ah, you're right. Okay. That first home game and first shutout was in, uh, with, and it just was a flood of emotions. I mean, my, my parents were there. Um, my, my girlfriend at the time was able to make it in for that game. It was the first one that my parents had seen. And, you know, I just, I never had aspirations of making the NHL. I sure I would have loved to have done it, but I had no idea how to make it. And to be somebody from, I was the first goalie from St. Louis and, you know, all these things. And it's, it's the pinnacle because from there, there was never another shutout. <laughs> it was all downhill. Um, you know, I, I kept, I kept grinding though. And I kept getting chances after that, um, that, but truthfully, that was my best chance. That was the, the, the best opportunity I had in the NHL, even until last season, you know, a decade later. So um, a lot of great memories associated with it. And I hadn't even been back to Amelie arena in a decade. I, I never made it back with any of the other teams until last year. Um, so that was, that was special, you know, to be able to go to, and take a morning skate in it and and just see some familiar faces. It was really special. 
Yeah, and you're you're dead on. This is how good your memory is. It was February fourth, two thousand nine. Was that start here against the Pittsburgh <laughs> Pittsburgh well, uh, Penguins? Here's so. the thing: social social media has a way of always reminding you of stuff, you know, <laughs> with your timelines and things. <laughs> yeah, how about that? Um, all right, uh, Mike. Let's talk a little bit. Uh, well, first of all, you spent some time with Syracuse. You were traded back into the organization a couple years ago. You led the crunch to the Calder Cup final after the trade deadline. There. Um, I have to ask you this question because you gave, and we know hockey is so much about nicknames. You gave Yanni Gord probably the best nickname ever when you called him Pumpkin. I, I mean, <laughs> just, just, I mean, how did you kind of come up with that? You know, obviously the connection Gord and, and Pumpkins, but I, I mean, to, to come up with that sort of a nickname, that's brilliant. Well, I'll be honest with you. Um, I mentioned social media before. <laughs> Somebody on social media. I uh, wasn't very flattered with him, and I can't remember who it was against, which team we were playing, but somebody called him a pumpkin, like der- <laughs> like in a derogatory fashion, like, you pumpkin, you know, and there were other expletives in there, and I think it was on Twitter, and I saw that, and, and I was I was floored. I was like, this is perfect, and we got to run with it. And I, I think he was – I don't know how he really took to it, to be honest with you. I kind of lived I'm sure he liked it, but – I mean, how it's perfect. His last name's Brilliant. Gord, you know. So I, I thought it was funny, and I and I, I always like nicknames like that rather than just you know, Gordy or Gordo or or Sudsy or Sutsy. Like, we need more humor in the game, like we used to have in the in the old days when guys would have crazy nicknames based off of something that dumb that they did earlier in life or you know like, something a parent gave them as a kid. That's those are always f- more fun to me. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I can tell you, I have asked Yanni about that, and he was, he said it wasn't the crazy. He wasn't crazy about it, but uh, I I think it's brilliant. I, I'm with you. We we like more fun in the game. You know, I I see that watching these uh, hurricane storm surges after games. I give me more of that in the game. I think I think it's fantastic uh, in general. I think it adds a personality to the game, which sometimes, let's face it, this game can use and this league can use. Totally agree. We need it, I, and there's so many good personalities and. I mean, it's funny, like the moment I walked in this year as a member of sit down with a couple of guys that I don't know, but I've played against for years and I start to ask them questions and they immediately clam up into hockey guy responses. And I had to tell them, like, I was in the room last season, man. Like, I know all your friends, like, I'm not here to get those responses I just need information to help me on the broadcast. Just talk to me, man, like a normal person. You don't have to give me the, we forechecked really hard and, and, you know, we worked as a team and, you know, give me some real stuff. It's just funny how as players, we've been kind of preconditioned to, to get those responses. Yeah. That's why we always appreciate interviews with guys like yourself. You know, you don't talk in cliches. You, you, you talk straightforward and give good answers. And, you know, that's, that's why we like to engage with players like that. And, and I think we should bring out more, of those type of personalities. So I know I appreciated that uh, when you were here uh, for that year that um, I was covering the team uh, back then. Um, let, let's talk about this Vegas team a little bit ahead of tonight's game. Uh, normally, Mike, a, an expansion team in their third year that's sniffing around a playoff spot would be just something to get absolutely excited about. Perception changes, obviously, with the success the team has had the first two years, obviously getting the Stanley Cup final their inaugural year. But they make the coaching change. They let go of Gerard Gallant, bring in Pete DeBoer. How has the team responded to all of that? And have you seen any situations where DeBoer has kind of put his stamp on the team yet? It was, 
Well, they were Vegas has kind of been a victim of their own success in some ways in yeah. that you go to the Stanley Cup final and then last season had a team to do the exact same thing and, and ended up losing out on, you know, people will say a bad call. Well, they, they still allowed four goals in the last five minutes and had a chance in OT. So regardless of that, they were still a very good hockey team. And that's what's expected. They're expected to contend. They've made trades for Max Pacioretty, for Mark Stone, given away prospects and draft picks to do so. They're in win-now mode. They're not in building mode. So to be a bubble team wasn't acceptable uh, to them. And you know how the cap world works, too. I mean, it, it, you can't fire all the players. It's it's tough to, to make a change that makes any difference. So, um, you know, it, it was a gut punch to the players. They loved Gerard Gallant. Uh, and very respected by everybody there. Uh, I don't know a single person that had a negative thing about Gerarders to say. Uh, you know, when 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 a team's looking to win, you have to make bold moves. You can't be afraid to do that, and management chose to do so. And uh, regarding Pete DeBoer, yes, there has been differences. We've seen uh, the penalty kill's different now. It's it's a little bit more aggressive in spots. They're you know, their breakouts are, are, have changed a little bit uh, in terms of positioning and support, um, you know, and, and little stuff like the power play they've been tinkering with as well. But, you know, he actually had two coaches in DeBoer and Glant that really weren't that different in terms of the structure they like to play with. So um, the, the, the archetype and the rubric was already there for Pete DeBoer to come in and to make the tweaks that he wants to. Um, ha- has been pretty effortless as they've played well underneath him so far. Um, they've had seven out of ten points in the games that he's been coaching. Was it awkward at all because of the uh, the little rivalry that had been created with with the San Jose Sharks, especially uh, you know even in the preseason this year with uh, you know the situation with Ryan Reeves and Evander Kane and uh, everything that was kind of going on. I-, I know Pete was asked this question. Uh, about how to deal with that, and uh, you know, he kind of blend in. But was was that an awkward situation too, when the guy that was coaching arguably the biggest rival of the team was all of a sudden behind your bench? Oh, I, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and if you want to catch the attention of your players, that's about the best way you can do it is bring in your worst nemesis, um, because it was it was a bitter feud and rivalry, and it, and it extended beyond the players. I mean, there's. Verbal inter- verbal exchanges between Glant and DeBoer, and yep. um, you know it, it was it was heated, and it was definitely an odd sense. It had that strange aura, um, but I it it was good timing though that All Star and bye week uh, was relatively shortly after the coaching change. They played three games prior to a three four. Um, so, you know, there was a little break in period there where it was pretty awkward, but by the time you get through break, the, the new reality sets in, Hey, Pete's our coach. It's time to go back to work. We can still win a Stanley cup here, or at least contend and, and do make it far. Uh, so it, it wears off over time, but it, it, with anything else, there's always apprehension, you know, when you've known something for a long time, um, you know, Pete DeBoer had to come in and win the guys over and has to win games. And right now that's what they're doing. So um, that makes the transition a lot easier. Again, we're joined by former NHL goaltender, former Lightning goaltender, Mike McKenna, now a studio analyst with the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, do they need more more from Malcolm Subban to kind of take some of the pressure off of Mark andre Fleury? Um, you know, he's no mm-hmm. spring chicken nowadays, even though as well as he's played, he's really rejuvenated himself there with Vegas. But did, did, is there a, a need for maybe some more support uh, underneath him to kind of give him a break every now and then? 
No, the answer is yes. Um, it, it's been it's been feast or famine with Malcolm. He's been really inconsistent, quite honestly. And it's it's not game to game. It goes in waves. Uh, start of the year didn't start well. He was phenomenal in December. Uh, had a couple of poor games in January, and then the last game very good. So, if if Malcolm can smooth that out and find a level of consistency that can be dependable, and just team knowing that he can win them games at a consistent basis. Um, that's going to help an awful lot because as you say, it's not that Mark Andre Fleury's getting any older. It's just quite simply the rigors of today's schedule. Yep. It benefits to have a second goaltender you can trust that you know is going to play not 15 to 20 games like the old days. That's going to play 20 to 35 games now. Uh, so, you know, Malcolm's got to take that step down the stretch uh, in doing so, there's been all the signs that he can. It just has to happen. Uh, get to something like, you know, you have in Tampa Bay. They had, you know, Louis Domingue had a nice season in Tampa Bay. They went out and grabbed somebody like Curtis McElhaney, who's a proven commodity. You know, he can perform in playoffs. He can, he can back up. He can do whatever you need. So um, that's kind of the ideal setup in today's NHL. Uh, how about Mark Stone? You know, make a big splash last year at the trade deadline to bring in Mark, a uh, fantastic two-way player, probably one of the best two, two-way winger in the league. But this is his first full year with the team as, as he kind of really put himself into the lineup and, and made him as uh, an important part of that lineup as we expect him to be. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I mean, I had the, the pleasure of playing with him in Ottawa last year when Quite frankly, he carried our team to, to just being respectable in Ottawa. I mean, we were struggling. Systems were were not great there, to say the least. And Mark Stone could flip a game upside down. And it's because he does it all over the ice. Every zone, penalty kill, power play, you name it, um, he does it well. He doesn't necessarily get the credit league-wide because he's not going to be a player who ever puts up 95 or 100 points. You know, he's not a dominating offensive force in terms of just strictly point point production. But every line that he's ever on and he's ever been on in the NHL, his line mates all produce. With his chemistry with Max Pacioretty, uh, the previous year's big splash, you know, that summer's, those two guys have been incredible together. Um, the point production between them is phenomenal along with whoever's in centering there, you know, Chandler Stevenson comes in as a fourth line player from Washington. Now he's playing with stone and Pacioretty and his points have doubled. So to me, that speaks how good of a player Mark stone is. Um, he leads the league in takeaways every year, incredible hand, eye stick. It's great hockey sense. You can tell that, you know, his offensive instincts are kind of built from his lacrosse background too. He loves, he'll, he'll delay, he'll make lanes and, and he's a leader too. He's really become one of the main voices uh, within the locker room. All right, last question here for you, Mike, before we let you go. We appreciate your time. But kind of looking at the Pacific Division, it's very tight. It's very close. A lot of parity in that division. Uh, I think Vegas still has one of the best constructed rosters in the league. They have underperformed a little bit from it. Uh, but how do you kind of break down the last two months here with the division and how Vegas fits into it? It was a dead heat until about a week and a half ago. I mean, there were five teams, I think, at 57 points at that time. So, um, you know, Ottawa's trailed off a bit. Arizona has been – and really, I could – everybody in that position, whether it's Arizona, Edmonton, uh, Vegas, Vancouver, whoever you're going to pick out of that grouping is 
and down and slotted in different spots. So um, Vegas to me is yes, they underperformed slightly. Um, you know, they're, they're still a little deficient. They're searching to find the right combinations in the defensive core to try to jumpstart the offense a little bit. You know, there's, I believe they're 29th or 30th in point production from the D uh, out of any team in the league. So they need more there. Um, but in terms of forwards up front, absolutely dynamic. Uh, and, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury, too, has been – he was great for the first half through Christmas or so. And and, and the last month hasn't been great for him. So if he can get back to playing at the same level that he was early in the season and the first two years of the of the Golden Knights, yes, they're constructed to be to be right at the top again. But – these last two months, it's just been an up and down horse race through it. And, you know, one of these five teams is going to get left out. That's yeah. what it comes down to. So um, they got to make their push now. You know, they've got 28 or nine games left. And from here on out, they're, they're playing desperate hockey. All right, I lied. I got one more question for you. Why do we like goalie fights so much as a former goalie yourself? Oh, because it's a freak show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like two polar bears dancing at center ice. And, like with the like, there's the very rare exception that somebody actually hits the other guy. Like we have all this gear on, so it's so hard now to actually hit them. But it's 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 just crazy. It's goof. It's abnormality. It hasn't. It's funny. Like the last goalie goal was 2013. The last goalie fight was 2013. So <laughs> it doesn't happen very often, and it is. It's an absolute circus when it does. Um, but then again, you, every once in a while, you get Brent Johnson knocking Mike DP or Rick DiPietro into the next county. You know, like it, it can be crazy. But yeah, I think it's just the curiosity of these things because they're so rare. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I had to hit you with that with that one last. Mike, I uh, can't thank you oh, enough for it. your time. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, continued success with the broadcasting gig. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate it. Anytime, my pleasure. Joined us there. Uh, on the phone lines, uh, really appreciate his time. I, I, Mike has agreed, by the way, these two teams face each other in about a week and a half, um, uh, two and a half weeks when they're out in Vegas. He's going to come back with us at that time as long as we can make that happen. So we're going to work on that schedule. All right, so we appreciate Mike, and uh, I told you he's really insightful. It was really, really a fun interview. I hope you enjoyed it. All right, let's take a quick break because we got about four questions we want to get to. Uh, we'll do that when we come back on the other side of the stick around. Oh, we've got more lightning talk for you. You'll want to focus on the neglected food groups, such as the whipped group, the congealed group, and the chocotastic. This is Lightning Lunch with LightningInsider.com's Eric Erlinson. I can. Nay, I must eat everything I've always wanted. On Lightning Power Play. Hey, welcome back to Lightning Lunch here on Lightning Power Play, our final segment, and we're going to try and squeeze in everything that uh, has come my way, I, again, I always appreciate the interaction. I love the interaction, so keep it coming. Um, first off, I, I tease this at the top, and this will lead into Paul's question. And hi, Paul, how are you? Um, do you foresee the Lightning making any moves before the trade deadline? Are you hearing anything from the front office? Well, let me tell you, the front office, they're not going to tell me anything, right? They're not going to give me any indication of what they're doing. I wish I, wish I had a... Uh, a, a glass I could stick on the wall. Uh, they'd probably kick me out of the building if they found me if I tried to do that. In fact, I know they would. They'd probably take away my credential if I tried to uh, get some insight in that way. So I don't know of anything specific. Um, I do believe that 
after sitting pat last year. I don't get the sense that Julian Breezebois and his staff will sit pat this year. I think they'll make some depth moves. I don't know how big they're going to go. You know, Julian's been on record. I've said this before. He's not a huge fan of deadline day deals. He doesn't feel that they have the impact for a lot of teams that you want them to because it's such a short period of time. You know, we talked about it yesterday. There's 30 games starting tonight left in the rest of the regular season. There are 10 games left before the trade deadline. So if you make a deadline day move, there's only 20 games for that player to get acclimated. So maybe that's why the impact isn't quite as much as uh, teams would like when they make this sort of a move. Now, what I teased to at the top of the show that leads into this a little bit is the possibility that Dustin Bufflin could become a free agent. Big right-handed shot defenseman. Can eat a lot of minutes. Can play the power. He does a lot of things. It sounds like there's a resolution coming to the season-long situation between Bufflin and the Winnipeg Jets. Bufflin had off-season, I believe, ankle surgery that the team, I guess, wasn't notified of. So there's been a lot of sort of bad feelings kind of here between the two teams. And it's been very amicable. There's been a lot of hostility behind the scenes. He's been suspended since the start of the year. They were looking for some sort of a resolution. Either he was going to come back or they would trade him or something else. Well, it sounds like a joint mutual resolution's coming in the terms of terminating the final part of his contract that could potentially make him an unrestricted free agent. If that's the case, first of all, not sure how ready he is to play, what kind of shape he is in to play. You're coming off the surgery, and the reports out of the Winnipeg area are that he has been skating on his own. But if he is in a situation to where he is capable of playing, boy, to be able to get a player potentially of that caliber without giving up any assets. Now, Bufflin might be looking for a multi-year deal in this situation. Um, if Again, this is if. There's a lot of speculation because nobody really knows exactly the case that's going on. Right? There's just not a lot of information out there in regards to where his head is at, where his body is at. Does he even want to play? Is this just him retiring and giving the Jets cap relief? A lot of crazy, crazy speculations going on. So that's all we're doing here is speculating because we don't know how ready he is to even step back into action or if he even wants to. But if he was, I could see the Lightning reaching out to Bufflin's camp and saying, hey, what do you think about coming down here for the rest of the year on a prorated deal and playing with Victor Hedman and potentially winning a Stanley Cup? That'd be pretty enticing if I was Dustin Bufflin. Now, again, a lot of questions in the air about where all this is potentially leading to, where it's going to, or anything like that. But... It is something worthwhile to kind of keep an eye on. And, you know, from reading a lot of the reports yesterday, it sounds like a resolution is coming sooner rather than later, and it makes sense. Again, we are now less, less than three weeks from the trade deadline. Um, Doug, 
who, by the way, was uh, happy that Mike McKenna was on here. He said two of my favorite people are on the same radio show. Uh, Doug, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, but his he had a question regarding the topic that I talked about with three-point games. Would three-point games across the board something you think owners will move to and then it's 3 nothing regulation or 2-1 in overtime? First of all, yeah, it'd be three points for a regulation win, two points for an overtime win, or maybe they make it three points. Again, I, that still kind of skews it. In the ideal world, in Eric Erlinson's perfect world, which doesn't exist and will never exist, the point system would be three points for a win, two points for a regulation or an overtime slash shootout win, and one point for an overtime shootout loss. Every game, that, that way every game is worth three points, right? As I said, there's not an appetite from the owners, the GMs, the competition committee. There's really nobody that has an appetite to change the system. And in a lot of ways, because the current format keeps teams in the race. And that's, at the end of the day, a big part of what the league wants to happen. They want every team to still have a chance. It hurts other areas, right? Like, it's hard to make trades now, right? Because there's only so many teams that are sellers making a lot of teams buyers, and that tends to lead to a lot of, not a whole lot of action ahead of the trade deadline. Same thing with July 1. July 1 has become a little bit of a dud in terms of entertainment value or excitement value with the league because of a lot of this. It's a parity-driven league. So there are aspects to it. But the league does like the fact that because of the three-point games, it keeps teams in a race and sells hope. And selling hope to fan bases sometimes is what they're trying to do. Not for all markets, but for some markets, you want to sell hope. Uh, all right, from Stephanie. Stephanie's question here. Squeeze this one in. Uh, do you feel like Yanni Gord is putting too much pressure on himself to try and score? As I heard you say before, cutting it to too fine. Do you feel if he just plays his game, it will come for him? There is no doubt. There is no doubt that Yanni Gord is squeezing a stick. His confidence level is low. You know, I had him on three weeks ago, actually, ahead of the L.A. game. As frustrated as I've ever seen him, he was on with me on the opening face-off show. Very, very frustrated. So it's definitely getting to him. Uh, the good news is that it's not affecting the other areas of his game. But, yeah, you would kind of just like to see him let that go, right? Like, take that burden of scoring off his own shoulders, and then maybe it'll come. Right? Stop thinking about it so much. And you know, I think he's caught thinking about it. That's why we've seen him pass up some shot opportunities. You know, I think back to, I forget the game it was, where he sent a pass back on a two-on-one where he probably should have shot the puck. You know, situations like that. There's no doubt that I think that this is affecting Yanni Gord. He's inside his own head. And as an athlete, that's not a good place to be. It, it leads to self-doubt. Um, and you need confidence to be a goal scorer. Uh, Bob's followed up. I would also like to know, I think he's putting pressure on himself to score, but making some poor decisions in the slot location. Easy for me to say, though. Uh, again, th that's sometimes you start to become too fine. You start to you know, try and make too fine of 
plays to just try and make it work for you instead of just letting it work. And there is a difference. All right, that's going to wrap up today's show. As always, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening in. Thanks to Mike McKenna for joining us on the show. That was a great interview. I hope you enjoyed that. Again, he said that he'd be open to coming back on the show again here in a couple of weeks uh, when these two teams meet up in Vegas. Uh, thanks to Paul. Thanks to Doug. Thanks to Bob. Thanks to Stephanie for your questions today. I really appreciate you you know, interacting with the show and being a part of it. Uh, it's one of my favorite parts of the show. So uh, thanks, as always, for chiming in and being part of it. Thanks to Connor Zielinski, as always, for making it sound good. Don't forget, Lightning in Vegas, Golden Knights tonight at 7 p.m. right here on Lightning Power Play. Dave Mishkin and Phil Esposito have that call for you. Greg Linelli has Lightning Power Play live at 6 with Brian Burns and Dan Duva. That's at 5.30. Uh, it leads into the pregame show. We'll be back at noon tomorrow. Until then. Bye-bye, everybody.